Yeah, I mean, first of all, I also want to thank God, man. Wow. Wow. Man, that's that's all I've been saying since Sunday. Wow. Man. This is a Can't See Cheese podcast. You're with your host and producer, Eric Lepardis. You guys already know who I am. And wow. This this is this is amazing. Your Can't See Chiefs achieved it. They won. They are going back to the Super Bowl. Before we get into this episode, before we get deep into this episode today, I know I didn't start it off uh, generically. Obviously, you guys heard what Kelsey had to say in the beginning. It's, it's, this is an amazing feeling. And I've been in awe since Sunday. I wanted to give myself some time to kind of cool off a little bit, to kind of cool the emotions down before I wanted to get this episode out to you guys. But I couldn't help it. I just I couldn't help it. And I I just kept being excited, excited. I, I rewatched the game a few times. And this week is about kind of celebrating that as a fan. And then, you know, obviously next week will be about getting the you know the preview out for the Super Bowl but we did it Chiefs Kingdom we're going back and before I get deep into this episode I just want to talk about like you know just the appreciation as you know just being as a Chiefs fan you know think about the times you know that we had to you know endure you know, watching this team play. I started watching the Chiefs probably back, I would say, early, like about 2000, rough 99, 2000. You know, I, from what I can remember, at a very young age, I started at a very young age and I was addicted the moment that I could, like, actually understand what was going on and I actually physically sat down and watched a game. And I remember we played the Chargers. Uh, I don't remember if we won or lost, but I remember seeing the Charger, you know, s- symbol on their uh, their then Navy helmets when they were in San Diego, and I literally saw Tony Gonzalez. I remember him scoring in the game. I remember seeing eighty-eight, and I actually had a Chiefs jersey, not even really realizing like the meaning of what it was, but it was actually Tony Gonzalez jersey. So I always kept looking for 88 on the field. This was probably roughly around 2000. So this was, you know, Tony was still young, had been in the league for already a few years. I think I don't I never really got to witness any any moment of Marty like that. 
I mean, I'm sure I got sat down as a baby or, you know, super young toddler. But I, you know, I really started roughly watching the Chiefs play when I was like kindergarten, pretty much pre-K going into kindergarten. Because I really, really started understanding football back then, roughly around then. And I know it's kind of hard to believe like a five-year-old really trying to understand football. Trust me. If anybody knows my knows my people, that is a true statement. When I remember watching games just every week, you know, growing up, there was a lot of disappointment. Obviously, anytime we made the playoffs, which was rare, you know, the the times we did was with um you know obviously marty there was the times with marty but then uh we made made the playoffs with dick you know the the 13 and um the 13 and three year and that was that in 2003 and that that was really really when my addiction really started getting like amplified actually becoming a chiefs fan and i started going to games roughly around that time as well um, like religiously every year, like, you know, family members would take me. Um, I'd go to my grandfather a lot. My uncle <clears throat> would take us. Um, my mom, you know, it was just really my mom kind of roughly around that point, you know, me and my mom and my brother before, you know, my family got extended, but, um, you know, I had other family members that would take us to games and stuff. So I, I, you know, I got to I got to experience Chiefs games at you know super young age, and that was awesome. Um, and I I remember actually going to the game that Trent Green got hurt, and, you know, got knocked out and carted off. And I was pretty scary to see in there in person, and I was actually close down to the field. Um, so that was that that game was pretty crazy. And I, I've sat pretty much everywhere in that stadium. I, I can't name an area that I haven't. Um except for like the actual corner spots, like all the way up the top, and you guys know what I'm talking about. Those like corner corner spots. Never sat there. But I've sat close to it. Um and not saying that those seats are bad, I just I just haven't. Um and, you know, just being in the atmosphere of Arrowhead in general, and I know I'm kind of all over the place right now, but I'm just kind of showing appreciation right now of being a Chiefs fan and um, just all the memories that I can think of, you know, just in, like I said, watching games every week, you know, either by myself in my room or over a friend's house with family members, you know, you name it. Um, but I remember how disappointing that, that, that loss to the Colts in the divisional round, the, the the no punt game, or not, sorry, yeah, yeah, the no punt game, because it was freaking straight um, passing attack from Manning, and then a straight run attack from us, and, you know, that was a high-scoring game, and, you know, we obviously lost at the end, um, because we didn't have a lick of a defense, and I always say this as a fan, I truthfully believe if Maslowski did not get hurt. I believe the Chiefs would have won the Super Bowl in 2003 because Maslowski knew how to control that defense back then. 
similar to how like we had to deal with linebackers like Anthony Hitchens. They were not like super big time linebackers, but they were guys that got defenses ready to to uh to win. You know, and they they glue they were the middle linebackers that glued the defense. You know, I I'm only using the glue uh, reference from Spag saying that to what Hitch used to do for the recent defenses of the last couple of years. Uh, but no, back in 2003, I truthfully think that we would have won the Super Bowl if Maslowski never got hurt. We obviously made one playoff run with gear with uh, Herm, but there had to been there, there was a lot that had to go on for that to happen, and. It, it, <laughs> Yeah, it it was, it was uh that that was a obviously we went to the Indianapolis and got smoked by them, so it didn't really matter. And I always believe Herm was just a scapegoat before you know the new transition of everything of Chiefs Kingdom. Obviously, that that new transition was a toxic disaster as well. Um, and I'm I'm only referencing you know. Uh, parts of the franchises that I vividly remember because I remember the later years of Peterson and obviously the one year of Gunther that I kind of vividly remember and obviously the Dick years and the Herm years. I remember them trading Tony and and I you know I love Tony Gonzalez. I I I don't believe that he's the greatest. I think obviously Travis has surpassed everybody, but. Um, I love tra- uh, Tony and what he did in his time with Chiefs Kingdom. And, you know, I don't care that people dislike him. I've said that numerous of times. But, you know, he was he was the player that got me loving the Chiefs. He's the guy who got me started loving the Chiefs. But um, I remember them trading him, and I wasn't mad. I was actually happy. I was happy for him. I was happy that he got to go to a team um, that was c- competitive because you know, we weren't. You know, we were rebuilding. You know, Peterson was out, um, and they brought in Pioli and uh, Haley. Pioli, Haley, and I want to say, yeah, Charlie Wise and um, Charlie Wise and Romeo Cornell. And they tried to recreate the whole New England thing because we obviously brought in Matt Castle, Mike Vrabel, um, and it, it it was okay. Obviously, oh, um, the oh nine year was bad. Um, they didn't really have so much success in that year. But we we understood that, and it was a new it was a new year. The team there was a lot of uh, moves, but there was some questioning because I mean, if you remember, uh, Derek Johnson was benched. You know that year, I want to say, and there was a lot of questioning of Todd Haley and his decision making with like you know players, and um, and then that 2010 year, we obviously made the playoffs and we we lost in the wild card round, um, uh, got sm- got smoked by the Baltimore Ravens, and I I thought you know we were going to be good because we had a really really strong run game, you know they. They ran the shit of Jamal Charles, but they also ran the shit out of Thomas Jones. And I I know a lot of uh, the argument was like, you know, why are we pounding the ball with Thomas Jones so many times when you have Jamal Charles, who is obviously a lot better? But we had 2,000-yard running backs that year. And that was a, obviously a great year for Charlie Wise as an OC. Um, and then 
I want to say he leaves the next year and goes to coach KU because, you know, we thought, oh, Wise is going to turn KU around. Um, and then we have, obviously, the year of Brian Dable in 2011, which was as OC with Haley, it's still a head coach, and that was still a disaster. So Haley was only with us for two and a half years because locker room was getting toxic, and it just was bad. Um, they ended up, obviously, making Romeo Cornell the interim head coach to finish the season out. I want to say he had won the rest of our season or maybe, like, went, I think we only had, like, four games left, and I think he went, like, three and one. Or maybe it, I I want to say it was he either lost one game or two games, but the ratio was still was fairly good that they thought was good enough to hire him for the 2012 season as a head coach. Obviously, that was bad. That was bad. Um, obviously, 2012 was a horrible year, horrible year as Chiefs fans and obviously as for for the franchise. Um, I remember hearing about that news getting the getting the notification on my phone I actually was uh doing community service uh for acting like a fool in high school because I, I was in high school at the time uh, I, I was maybe a junior in high school when that happened um and yes I know people who probably listen to this be like oh you're a young guy whatever whatever you know I'm I ain't getting any younger I'm not gonna throw my age out there right now I mean I'm sure that you guys have probably heard me say my age but I'm not going to say it right now um not that I'm ashamed of it it's just it's it's, it's irrelevant um actually you know what I don't really give a shit I, I'm 27 years old so I mean guys shoot me for whatever I don't care make fun of me for st stating how old I am I don't give a shit um, but anyways, I don't even know why I even got on that topic, but back in 2012, that, that was a horrible year as a, um, as a Chiefs fan. Um, we lost Javon, you know, Belcher because, you know, he committed suicide, murder, suicide. Uh, he killed his girlfriend and then obviously drove up to the, the, the building at, uh, Arrowhead stadium practice facility or I want to say it was the parking lot, the practice facility, and uh, he, he shot himself in uh, front of Cornell and Pioli, um, and that was that was pretty much the end of that that term. And we obviously had to play a game the following day, but I think we had like maybe two games up to the season. Um, I, I I want to say that year they were I don't I think they blacked out a couple of our games because of how bad we were I mean we were the first I mean we were the number one overall pick we were the worst team in the entire National Football League and so much shit happened um I mean that year I mean Andy Reid lost his son um in training camp leading up to that year uh, the tra training camp 2012 leading up to that year, he lost his son to a, a drug overdose. And so it, there was a lot. It's crazy how things were just kind of meant to happen. I mean, obviously no one has any love lost for Javon, uh, Javon Belcher because he did a horrible thing, but it, it still impacted the, the franchise because that's not, that's not a good look. 
you know, it just goes to show you how how it just goes and proves more of a point of how dangerous the sport can be. But we obviously that year ends. They get rid of Cornell. He's out. They fire Pioli's out. Um, they get rid of him. And I want to say Borgonzi was part of Pioli's staff. He stayed on with Kansas City, obviously. Um, and it just, like I said, Andy Reid went through what he went through. The Chiefs went through what they went through. Um, Eagles and Andy part ways ending their season, the 2012 season. And I think the rumor was he was on his way to sign a deal with, um, I want to say, Arizona. The moment that he got to Kansas City, it was a done deal. Uh, Clark Hunt wanted him because he knew what Andy Reid was about and what he could do. And we got him, traded for Alex Smith. Uh, They took Eric Fisher with the number one overall pick, which was kind of a questionable pick. But... You know, Donald, uh, who was it? Our our tackle, Brandon Albert. I was about to say Donald Stevenson. Our, our tackle, Brandon Albert, he was dealing with a lot of injuries. And, you know, I don't think we wanted to pay him. So, you know, we dealt with the year of him at left tackle still. still, And they had Eric Fisher at right tackle. And it was kind of a disaster. But it happened. And um, we got a left tackle and we were kind of dealing with uh, the right tackles and they eventually brought in Mitch Schwartz, you know, but the bottom line is Andy Reed brought that winning mentality back to, to Kansas city, you know, 2012 was horrible years for both of us or us. I mean, I would, as I should say, the chiefs and Andy Reed, um, it was not a good year. And so 2013, was a refresher. The team started winning. They went like on a 9-10-0 win streak. And they did drop like their last final games. And then obviously or like few games. And I think they went like four out of five of their last five. And then um, <clears throat> or five out of their last six, I should say. And because I know we ended up losing like five games that year. Or maybe it was six. Maybe we went like 11 and six that year. I can't remember. Um, or I guess it was 16 game seasons. I can't even count. Uh, so 11 and five, I want to say we went that year and, um, uh, we lost in the playoffs, obviously that horrible, horrible loss to the Colts, but blowing it. And it was kind of one of those things where, you know, we as chiefs fans, I remember we kind of like felt, Oh, you know, is, is this what we're going to deal with? Are we going to get what Andy Reid was in Philly? Oh, he, he, you know, he'll take you to the playoffs, but, you know, it, it just it's just not going to, you know, it's just going to be like another Marty situation. We're going to get winning seasons, go to the playoffs, and not, not, not do anything. Um, the following year obviously was not a good year. Uh, we went like 9-7, and seven, didn't make the playoffs. Um it, you know, that was, you know, that, that was a hard year, but we dealt with a lot of injuries, uh, especially on offense and defense, uh, mainly. And then, and then 2015, uh, we had the one in five start and then we won the, our remaining games. Uh, and we didn't have a single receiver 
uh, I don't, do we have a single receiver score touchdown that year? There was a year that we went with, uh, with a receiver that didn't score. That may have been 2014, the year that that was, that was pretty much bad. That, you know what, that you're right. 2014 was the year the nine and seven year was the year we went with uh, not having a receiver score touchdown and then I want to say Jeremy Macklin in 2015 which we tampered with and got docked for it um you know they they got they got Andy Reid for that and uh but he was able to get the guy that he drafted in Philly to Kansas City and Jeremy Macklin was a good piece uh he was thousand yard receiver uh for but he for Kansas City but he just couldn't stay healthy but he he was that receiver that was able to score for uh, for the team and to be that first receiver who scored you know because Alex Smith because the knock on Alex Smith you know obviously he just we felt like he never wanted to pass deep it was always intermediate routes he's either going to find Kelsey which Kelsey was young and up and coming then um, in the middle, or he's going to throw, you know, which is he's just only finding the tight ends, or he's going to throw to Jamal, you know, to Jamal in the backfield. Um, and Jamal Charles, that was 2015, obviously, was his last uh, strong year with us. Um, and he, I think he tore, I think he tore his ACL that, no, he tore his ACL in 2016. Um, because we lost to the uh, the Bears that year. That was uh, that that 2016 year. I remember uh, we had uh, yeah we had lost um, to the Bears. Um, but in yeah in 2015, that was that was a hard year. Obviously, starting out one and five. Uh, but we finished out strong, made it to the playoffs, lost to New England, of course, uh, in the divisional round. But we won our first playoff game, and that was what was important about 2015 because it was the first playoff win we beat Houston, um, and that was our first playoff win since forever. I mean, since we 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 won playoff game uh, since uh, Montana, since Montana won our playoff won our uh, divisional round game for us. Um, or maybe we our wild card round. Yeah, I remember because yeah, he beat the Steelers in the wild card round, and then we beat the Oilers in the divisional round, and then lost to the um, Bills in the AFC Championship. So, yeah, no, that was uh, since then. You know, I was 1990, but that was the 1993 season. So that – since 1993, the Chiefs had never won their playoff game. So that was very important, you know, for the team. Obviously, we lost in the divisional round. But I tell you what, we didn't have Justin Houston or Tomba Ali healthy in that. And we didn't have those guys. And, I, you know, maybe the game would have been a little bit different if maybe we had our, our elite pass rushers. But, you know, it is what it was. Um, 2016 obviously was a rough year, but – you know, we had some dinks and dunks in uh, some of those games, but we won a lot of the games that year too. I, I want to say we were uh, we weren't the one seed, but um, or maybe maybe we we were the no, we were the two seed, um, but we still had uh, may, we either the one seed or maybe we were. The, I don't remember. We were one of the seeds. I remember just losing to the uh, we lost to the um, the Steelers in the divisional round that was a divisional round game and that was that was tough 
um, because we lost by field goals. Or we, yeah, we scored. We were we scored touchdowns, but we held them to only field goals, and we still lost. Granted, there was that bullshit holding call on uh, Eric Fisher at the end, but obviously you can't control any of that, and um, that that ended our 2016 season, and, and it was like kind of one of those things where okay, what are we doing here? Is, is is it time to start thinking about a new quarterback? You know, Alex Smith didn't find Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey in that matchup so many times. They were open, and he didn't. And we were like, we were, at that point, we were like, okay, Alex Smith is just a check down Charlie. We want a guy who's going to sling the ball around. And 2017 draft comes around, and obviously we trade up Patrick from Patrick Mahomes and I don't need to get too much into deep into you know Pat because obviously you know that you know that told itself and we're here where we are today but what I'm trying to get at and why I talked about everything that led up to to this is because I wanted to really show that true appreciation of being a Chiefs fan and what we actually had or what I actually had to endure um, obviously people have different experiences due to, you know, how long you've been a Chiefs fan, um, you know, but obviously the people that, you know, watched, uh, the first Super Bowl win with Lenny, you know, those people who are still, you know, going around, um, they obviously have a lot of appreciation for the game because they endured a lot of pain because when Lenny was done and that team was done, they went through the the heart the pain through the eighties, uh, because we the, the Chiefs were horrible in the eighties, you know, to the point where they they pretty much had to um, almost reconsider, you know, relocating. Um, and I want to say even even in after the first Super Bowl win, which was only in nineteen seventy, it was the sixty nine seventy season. Um, you know, even after that, you know, the team was starting to go downhill, you know, and like I said, Hank Stram retired and uh, Lenny was Lenny was done. It, it, it was, you know, and the team was just kind of being a dumpster fire. And like I said, they considered on moving, you know, and um, but they didn't. And, you know, the highs and lows in the 90s, highs and lows in the early 2000s. And then obviously when Andy came here in his earlier times, but we as Chiefs fans just have to just show appreciation. I know I've already been ranting for like the last 20 minutes, but I don't care. This is probably going to be a long ass episode because there's just so much to cover. And I'm just so grateful that where we are today, because I never would have thought five AFC championships, you know, with, with three wins, you know, heading, you know, taking, going to three Super Bowls, potentially to win a second one. Obviously, we had an, uh, an opportunity to win a second one in 2020, but you didn't. And, you know, we were already two seasons, or uh, technically three seasons, because this season's already over. We got one more game left. Um, you know, that's three seasons ago. <clears throat> so, you know, you really can't really can't pinpoint too much on that one you got to see where we are now and i appreciate being a chiefs fan 
By the way, we're recording this episode on February 1st. Can't believe we're already in February. Yes, Chiefs and the Eagles are in February football. Um, and, you know, we'll obviously briefly talk about the, the NFC Championship, but, you know, we're going to mainly go over our game. Um, but there's some takeaways. Obviously, the first takeaway I wanted to talk about was, um, you know, obviously the appreciation that I showed, you know, my just – my history of how I, you know, I saw things going on, just kind of taking you guys back uh, to what we went through as Chiefs fans. And obviously, you know, there's people who went through a lot more uh, than what I obviously went through. But there are a lot of people that are roughly around my age who are Chiefs fans who started roughly watching around I did and uh, around the same time that I did and went through the same pain that I did. Um uh, but, you know, like I said, we drafted Pat in 2017. Uh, we still rolled with Smith that year, had the ugly loss to Mariota in the uh, playoff game to the wild card, in the wild card round against Tennessee. And then Pat took over in 18. And, you know, it was a bit, it's been a, a great five years. It's been an amazing five years. Um, grateful, just grateful. You know, we're. It's something that I think a lot of us Chiefs fans have wanted, what we've dreamt of. Can we just get a guy? Let's just get a guy. We need a guy. And it's so crazy because, like, the more you watch Pat play, it's almost like we all wanted this this exact guy. And I don't want to say, like, everybody thought, oh, like, this is who, like, who we thought of, like, Oh, we had Pat's face already envisioned, and that's that's what it was. No, that, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying we wanted a guy that was. I'm sure a lot of Chiefs Kingdom dreamt, a lot of fans dreamt. We want a, I want a guy that just would be unorthodox, that just would dominate the dominate the game in a different way, and just change the game in so many different ways. You know, not you know, not just like some typical typical like great pocket passer like typical quarterbacks that we were seeing we want I know a lot of Chiefs Keenum wanted an outside of the box type of quarterback you know and then the moment we saw Rodgers you know kind of being who he was we were like okay we know that you know I just I just know that a lot of us a lot of us Chiefs fans kind of were already tracking that same mindset of envisioning this quarterback that what we have now I know that probably didn't make any sense to some people, but it damn sure made sense to me. And if anybody understood that, thank you. Um, but I'm grateful for Pat. I'm grateful for 15. I'm grateful for Andy. Just, just all of it. Um, just so Chiefs Kingdom, just show appreciation right now. Just, just be, just be thankful for you know where we are, you know, as a you know as a team and just as a fan base. Because no one respected us. No one, no, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, our fan base has always been like, oh, yeah, Kansas City Chiefs fans are religious. You know, I'm talking about like when we were not that good. The only saying was like, oh, yeah, they're religious, barbecued, good tailgating. But it's like, it's legitimately like a, like, it's like a real, real thing. And it's always been a real thing. Like, it's always been hard to play at Arrowhead and stuff like that. Never been an easy stadium. But like, now there's an emphasis that's really put on like 
a thing and like broadcasters really really put an emphasis and focus on like how fucking hard it is to play an arrowhead you know I just don't feel like it was really really spoken about because the team wasn't really that you know wasn't where it is you know I'm sorry as as as, you know I know the narratives are going that have gone around about New England and you know with cheating scandals and gates that they've been involved in but you know what 20 years of a sustained success of making it to so many Super Bowls the way that they did and being in so many AFC title games, just being a dynasty like that. I wanted that for Kansas City. I want this dynasty. And if we win this Super Bowl, and I know I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself when it comes to that, this is a dynasty. I mean, some people would argue and already say it is. I personally think we're... we're pretty much like 85 percent 80 85 88 percent a dynasty the mo- if we solidify this super bowl i mean you it's already gonna go through the roof um but just another takeaway i've i'm kind of getting too much into this rant about showing appreciation but just show appreciation of right now of where we are um as a team watching this watching the chiefs play it's it's amazing all right, another takeaway, the off-season doubt. And I know I've mentioned this already before. It's It happened all off-season. The moment we traded Tyree killed. Actually, the moment we lost the AFC title game. I mean, they said, you know, Pat blew it, you know, which he admitted he did. And, you know, we all admit that there was some crap in the bed a little bit, but there was already narratives that year anyways about how things were kind of just different and, you know, teams were playing them different and, you know, we were, we were losing, we were, you know, we were three and four at a point and we were the bottom of the barrel and for a quick second and, you know, and then we started winning again because the defense got hot, you know, the offense was still kind of stagnant, but we all knew Pat was good still, um, but leading up to that, and then after losing the AFC title game, and then we trade Tyree Kill, which all we all thought he wasn't tradable. Everybody thought, oh, well, they just traded away their best player. They're automatically going to go downhill. They can't pay everybody. Pat's contract's kicking in. This is the pro- this is what we've all tried to tell Chiefs fans that was going to happen to their their team is their team was going to plummet because of that high ass contract. When we've all have said a million times that that contract is not even a high paying contract anymore. I mean, it 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 really really. I mean, it was it was a big contract, but it was not to the point where it was going to drag the team in, in negative, you know, directions because they had so much, so much flexibility with it. And I think that's what people failed to realize that, you know, there was a lot of flexibility in Patrick's contract. You know, that's why we still are successful in where we are. And they didn't do anything to his contract this year. This was the first year that it started kicking in his fifth year. They took, they essentially kind of took a fifth year deal out on him, but this is a sixth year in the league. Um, so that his first year of that 10 year deal is on and they did not change anything to of that. They didn't do any conversions. They rolled with it and look where we are today. But like I said, everybody, every sports, you know, talk Lowski's had his fair share. Ryan Clark had his fair share. Uh, Bart Scott had his fair share. Obviously skip did. You know, all the talking heads. Shady McCoy, who played on the team, 
um, Acho, all those guys. I mean, it just, it was, you know, narrative after narrative after narrative that we were going to take last in the division. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. And everybody, you know, got better, you know, because all these teams, they, they paid a billion dollars. I'm just talking about combined. They traded for all these players. Russell Wilson goes to the Broncos, which, by the way, they did just hire Sean Payton, um, which was a good pickup for them. But, again, it's one of those things that, like, we shall see. You know, a lot of these Broncos fans keep getting their hopes up for something, and it just never pans out for them. So, um, but still, I mean, Sean Payton's a really, really respected and obviously a coach who's won a Super Bowl and has had his team in the playoffs a lot. So, um, who knows? Um, but yeah, no, the Broncos, they made moves. The Chargers made moves. The Raiders made moves. And it didn't matter. We swept the division. The division. You know, we, we forced, we forced a team to move on from their quarterback I don't want to say that. I mean, they obviously had a bad season, but they couldn't get, he couldn't win in Arrowhead. He couldn't beat, you know, obviously he didn't play us, you know, last game of the year, but he was, because he was already benched by then. But still, you know, we made, we made narratives start questioning about Justin Herbert, you know, whether or not, hey, is, can he even beat Patrick Mahomes when it matters? You know, I mean, every division game matters, but the times that really mattered were the games that happened like late in the year or the times that were like, you know, because um, we beat the Chargers. I want to say we beat, we got, we took care of all that shit right before he was either right before Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was like right before Thanksgiving, we took care of both of them. So, or both those games. So, I mean, it, you know, we, we changed a lot. We, we made a lot of people be like, all right, fine. You know what? They may have won the division. We probably were wrong about that, but they're not going to survive in the playoffs. You know, it, even with the shakeup of, you know, the whole the situation with DeMar Hamlin that kind of made, you know, a certain impact that could have happened, we still went 14-3. and three. We went 14-3. and three. We won our games. You know, so we swept our division. They can't take that away from them. That team did that. Pat's on his way to win his second MVP. So it's like to say that he was going to take a step back was it, it just it, it was it was crazy that the Chiefs were 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 done. It, crazy. This was supposed to be a rebuild year, according to everybody. But with Patrick Mahomes, you're never going to rebuild. The window's always going to be there. You're going to retool. You're going to you're going to you're going to plug and replace. That's all you're going to do. A wide receiver might move on. Okay, that's fine. We'll move. We'll we'll either draft two receivers or we'll sign two free agent receivers. You know why? Because Pat's going to make anybody look good. Obviously, ask Mark Marcus Kemp, but. Um. Uh. Again, it, it's 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 one of those things that the narrative went out that the Chiefs were done and they're on their way to their third Super Bowl in five years. So at that's that's where we're at. Um. Let's let's talk a little bit about Brett Veach. Brett Veach, you know, let's give a round of applause for him. He's he's the general manager. He's the guy, and I know a lot. You know, a lot of sports talk doesn't talk about him is a lot. There's always guys that and they may be doing dumb shit, um, or who kind of put themselves more out there. Um, Brett Veach doesn't really put himself out there a lot. And oh gosh, 
in the sports world, or as far as like you know, in a lot of the sports talk, um, he didn't really put himself out there a lot. But he he definitely he definitely is talked about when he makes moves. Obviously, the Tyreek Hill uh, trade, and then you know, drafting all the the rookies that we did, you know, that have made key impacts this year, and that's 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 one of those things. I mean, him and his staff, you know, you you have to show appreciation for them for them to do their cap miracles, the way that they're able to work with that and just the contracts um, and just being able to, to find talent. I mean, Brett Veach was always known for that. And I'm glad that he is, you know, our GM. Um, I mean, it, he's the guy. And that's why he's in the position that he's in. That's why Andy wanted him there. Um, and, and let's talk a little bit about the, the actual, you know, uh, other staff in general, like like the medical staff. I mean, we have to show appreciation for uh, Doctor Rick Burkholder. Um, his you know his his practice with you know him and all the athletic trainers and everybody else and everybody who just worked with the players and um, because if you look at it, the Chiefs we're we're always we've been a fairly healthy team over the years at least when Patrick has played. Um, obviously we had the decimated offensive line going in the Super Bowl of two th- in Super Bowl 55, but you know, for the most part, we've, we've been man, we've been able to keep the main guys, you know, like key guys, healthy, healthy, uh, like Kelsey's been able to sustain health. You know, obviously Patrick, you know, he played on the, played in this game with a high ankle sprain, but it was noted Julie, you know, worked with him and Pat, Pat. Pat even noted that. Pat shouted out Julie. And the medical staff, you know, I think is one of the best. Obviously, KU Med, the, the medicine that they're working with, it's in practice, some of the practices, I'm sure, it's, 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 it goes to show you that they want the best quality. We have the best quality of, you know, athletic trainers and medical staff for the team and for the franchise. And Rick Burkholder, he's he's good, and and that's I think I think he was with Andy maybe in Philly, and I I want to say Andy brought him over here to Kansas City. I I think that's that's where that was. So you know, Doctor Rick, you know, he's the guy as well. Um, now I argued with somebody about this the other day because someone tried to tell me that. When I was when I was talking to them about Bobby Stroop and and I'm I'm and I'm going on to Patrick's you know pro- recovery process because like I said you have to shout out the medical staff um, and tra- athletic training staff with the Chiefs that helped all these players and especially Patrick with his ankle you have to note that but I was talking about Bobby Stroop you know with this individual and they wanted to argue with me and try to tell me that Bobby Stroop had nothing to do with any of this and 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 saying that basically uh that the medical staff is the only reason why Pat is you know was able to you know do the things that he was doing and I'm not saying that they that, I'm not saying that they aren't what I was trying to get at with this individual and I, I said I may have said last week. I, I this was just the other day, um, like Monday, you know, the day after the game. I was trying to talk, tell the individual that hey, no, I'm not saying that that the that the the medical staff didn't take care of Pat. What I'm saying is that why Pat 
you know, is able to still play on injuries. Why why Pat is still able to move around the way he, you know, he's able to move around. Why he's so flexible. Why, you know, he's able to bend and torque and, you know, and all these, you know, uh, you know, weird and unorthodox, you know, motions and movements is because of the training that he has done with Bobby over the years. You know, the ankle, uh, you know, the ankle uh, uh, training, the knee training, you know, all that stuff to work on his explosiveness, all the plyometric work that they do. I mimic some of the stuff that Bobby does with some of my people because I work with athletes. You know, it's it's amazing things that he has done with Pat. And I try to implement some of those things because you, you have to know your approach and why you're doing it with your person and implement those same those same motions in the training as if they were doing it in, in real life. You know, you have to put them in uncomfortable positions um, that are essentially focused on the motion that you are performing in your actual, you know, natural movement of the thing that you do. So I'm not, you know, that, that kind of probably didn't, you know, that probably didn't sound right when I said that, or at least didn't make any sense to some of you guys. So basically what I'm saying is the way he throws a football, him and Bobby are doing training methods like, you know, as far as explosiveness, explosiveness of velocity and, you know, flexibility you know, in 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 very uncomfortable manners of strength training, um, in that same motion, they do exercises in that same motion, which is basically going to mimic the movement that he actually does in the game. It's basically training uncomfortably, so then when you are in a comfortable setting, it, it you just naturally are doing it in a very very higher rate, better rate, and obviously you know you're stronger at it. So that's what I'm kind of getting at, and I know that I kind of ranted on a little bit, but Bobby Stroop is essentially responsible for a lot of that that training that Pat has done, and so that's why Pat is able to do the things that he's able to that he's able to do on the field, um, and why. When, when the athletic trainers and the medical staff are working on Patrick, are giving him the medicine that he needs, are, you know, doing the certain rehabs, it's easy on them because of how strong his body actually is due to his natural built ability and then what, you know, Bobby has done with him over the years. So you have to give respect and shout and love to everybody. Um, that's why, you know... I wanted to explain to that individual why Bobby was important. I wasn't, you know, and that, you know, again, they didn't understand where I was getting at. So I had to explain it to them in that manner, but you still have to show appreciation for, um, for those, uh, uh, for the, uh, the medical staff. You have to, you know, you, you just can't, cannot, I mean. And I, uh, like I said, Pat, he shouted out Julie and she, she did a lot of rehab with Pat this week to get him, to get him ready for this game. And that was good. Um, Andy Reed, I, like I said, I already showed appreciation for Andy Reed, big red man. That dude's amazing. I, we all thought his Philly tenure was probably going to follow him here, obviously until Pat, but 
he's he's pretty much the top coach. I mean, everybody still gives respect to Belichick because of what he did, but no one talks about Belichick like that anymore. It's all about Andy Reid being the top coach right now because of where we are, you know, and what we have done over the last five years, the success. Um, but Andy Reid and being able to to pick the staff that he has has been it's it's been awesome. Obviously, staff has changed over the years. We've lost OCs. We've brought guys back. We've you know transitioned to other coaches to different positions. I mean, we've done a lot of things, but we've been able. But what Andy Reid has been able to do is um, he's been able to keep the same culture and maintain the same culture. And that's that's what's been very important in the coaches that he has chosen that have helped him keep that culture. Um, you know, you know, he chose, you know, we had so many OCs. Obviously, now Eric Bieniemy has been the OC for Pat has pretty much since Pat's been our starter, actually since Pat's been our starter. You know, I, you have to show appreciation for Eric Bieniemy. I know that there's always been kind of that polarness uh uh, for polar like the uh, like that dividing polarness uh, that are, that goes against uh, Eric Bieniemy. Um, I guess I'm tr- I'm not looking for I'm trying to look for the right word. I'm I'm not saying the right word at all. I'm he's one of the most um, polarizing. I don't know why I said polar polar just polar. He's one of the most polarizing coaches on the team because you know of the how the offense was stagnant last year. No one knew specifically who was calling the plays. And that whole dumb article that came out because everybody was trying to look for an explanation of why we blew the second half in the AFC title game. And it was proven that this year, according to Travis Kelsey, that Andy recalls the plays. And EB is just the messenger. He is just the guy that gets the play from Andy. And I'm not saying he doesn't have input. They all have input. But Andy has 51%. He has said that over and over again. But they all game plan together, and that's that's why they are great, and that's why they are where they are. You know, EB's mind has to be there with Andy. Andy Andy's not going to just go in a meeting and just say, my mind is only it. No, he wants EB's mind in it. He wants Pat's mind in it. He wants Nagy's mind in it, and any offensive control quality control or any type of, you know, things that are going on with that, so... Andy Reid and the coaching staff, you have to appreciate that. You know, Eric Bieniemy has been good for us. We've three Super Bowls, man. You can't sit there and complain. I don't care if Andy's the one calling the plays. You know, at least EB's doing what he needs to do to get to Pat. And you know, if if EB ah if EB were, uh, moves on and goes in OC somewhere else, that'll be good for him too because you know he'll get to really really call his own shots. He'll have the majority percent over that side of the ball. Spagnolo, I tweeted out today that you know Spagnolo doesn't get enough uh, love, and I've had my fair share of dissing him and saying that we need to move on, you know, and saying Spags, what are you doing? What are we calling this before? I have asked for certain philosophy changes, and I said, hey, in this off season, I was like, you know what, I, you know, I, I, I'm cool with keeping Spags, but I wish he would utilize more of a, a speed rusher than he did the than his typical power rushers. You know, I wanted a different type of philosophy kind of going around a little bit. But, you know, we have to give the respect and kudos to Spags, especially for this game that he called last week, because it was by far one of the best coordinating games that I've seen from him. And you know what? Like I tweeted out, Spags, he's a big game. He's a big game defensive coordinator. You know, 
that's all he's been really good for is coming up with really good game plans in the biggest games. That's pretty much been his thing. Not saying he's won them all, but he's really came up with great game plans to put teams in chances to have his defenses and chances to make plays in the biggest games. You know, that's kind of where, um, that's kind of what Spags has been. And that's why he's still our defensive coordinator. And that's why I think it's his job until he wants to be done. Now, and, you know, moving on to Dave Tobe, I know this has kind of been an up and down year for him. And I would probably bar far say this has probably been his worst year as a special teams coordinator, at least for the Chiefs. And, you know, I've said, you know, look, if, if special teams was going to kill us in the playoffs, I think it would probably have been best to possibly move on from him. Dave Tobe is still a great coach. We have to realize that he, he's not a dumb. He's not a dumb coach. He just he has a lot of trust in his guys, and he wants his guys to go out there and try. And he wants them to go out there and succeed, and he understands that you know having a lot of turnover on that side, there is going to be some failures. But you just don't want them to come at inopportune times or come at the wrong times, I should say, or at least not in big games. And has it so far in the playoffs. Minus a couple big returns, but other than that, it's it's been cool. It's it it hasn't been bad at all, you know. I mean, well, I guess special teams has been bad this year. I, I'm not saying that. I guess I'm more going back on the defense, and I'm guess I'm looking at the entirety picture over the years, um, at least for Dave Tobe, but this staff has a certain mindset and that's the biggest thing that I'm trying to look for you know not only giving shout outs to the the coordinators um you have to give a shout out to Greg Lewis I mean working with Pacheco he got a lot out of Pacheco and McKinnon this year um you know oh gosh the tight ends coach I, I Melvin coach Melvin I mean, he working with the tight ends that he has this year. I mean, Travis is always going to be great, but, you know, he worked with, you know, these three, uh, Blake Bell, Jody Fortson, and Noah Gray. He's getting a lot out of Noah Gray. He got something out of uh, Jody Fortson if, he, you know, Fortson could stay healthy. You know, um, oh, gosh, uh, what um, heck has been able to get out of the offensive line, you know, especially the interior. You know, he Orlando Brown's kind of been up and down, but they've, they have found ways to make Orlando Brown, you know, have strong games. And you have to you have to notice that. Um and then going over the defensive side, Joe Colin. Joe Colin, you know, taking over the defensive line. Obviously, we got fifty five sacks. We were second in the league this year. Joe Colin was a tremendous you know, a tremendous uh, pickup for the defensive line room. You know, he told Chris Jones straight up, if you want to, if this defensive line is going to be great, you have to be the the best. You have to be the most dominant this year. And that's exactly what he has been, you know. And I, I think, I think he should be a defensive player, can't, you know, strong candidate. You know, he might take second in voting. You know, personally, I think he should be voted as defensive player of the year, if you ask me. But I know that won't happen. Uh, but he got a lot out of players. Mike Dana had a great year. Frank had a great year. Carl Loftus had a great rookie year. Saunders had a great year. Hell, you know, Derek Naughty was up and down a little bit in the beginning of the season, but he finished out strong. Dunlap had a great year. 
you know, there's so there there was a lot that he got out of this defensive line. Um, linebackers, I, I would say, you know, losing Matt House. I think Matt House probably was a better than was better than Daly. I don't think Daly's ever worked with linebackers, so you know, this was probably a little bit of a challenge for Daly this year. You know, he's always worked with defensive line, but you know, he was able to get you know somewhat good production out of Nick and uh, there was a lot of hate on Nick all year about certain you know certain things that he couldn't do but we knew those certain things that he couldn't do but we have to appreciate what he is strong at and what he is leading this defense in um and I think I think Brendan Daly has got tried to get the most out of the linebackers Willie Gay obviously had a strong year um and then even the secondary coach, Coach Merritt, you know, he he worked with so many rookies this year. I mean, that that was hard. I mean, that's hard to do to work with so many young guys like that. And he did that. He did just that. So you have to you have to show appreciation um, for all those things. You know, all the coaches did just that. Um, you know. And even like even back on Dave Tobe, you know, even with the, some of the special team struggles, he still kept faith, and that that is one thing you you cannot leave unnoticed. He kept faith in his players. He kept faith in Sky Moore. He kept faith in Bucker. He kept faith in Tommy Townsend, and those guys end up prevailing and are in that ended up succeeding. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think who else. I mean, uh, Blaymeyer. Blaymeyer lost Tyree Kill, and I'm sure that was easy working with a guy like Tyree Kill. Now, I know Greg Williams worked with some of the receivers uh, the Super Bowl win year and the Super Bowl loss year um, before transitioning over to the running backs. But Blaymeyer, he, he has done a very, very well with the receivers. And, and, you know, and it says a thing about Matt Nagy coming back and working with Patrick. You know, that, that was probably hard for Patrick to lose Kafka because Kafka was his guy for you know, for five years, for four years. Um, or I sh- uh, before, you know, Na- or I, should, I should say, I should say still for for the all the six years Kafka was the quarterback coach um, because Nagy was the OC in 17. So Nagy coming back and being the the quarterback coach that says a lot you know obviously pat's on his way to win his second mvp and you know he's had a a baller year and he's just shown he's improved so much and he's just you know continue to show who's that he's him and that goes a lot that show you know that goes a lot from the quarterback's coach too so just all the coaches in general, everybody involved, all of Andy Reid's staff, all of Brett Veach's staff, all the medical staff, Dr. Rick, uh, Burkholder's staff. I mean, just everybody involved. This year has been a great year, and I feel like that's just that's just why, you know, we are who we are, and that's why we're in the position that we're in as a, as a franchise and as a team, and. You know, in this fan base, we as Chiefs Kingdom, we get to witness that now, and that's why we have to show this appreciation um, for it. Um, all right, so moving on to another takeaway. You know, I haven't gotten onto the game. Like I said, guys, this is probably going to be a long episode. Um, my my experience at Arrowhead. We went to the game on Sunday. Went to the AFC Championship. What an experience! It was so loud loud and you know there was so many emotions that went through it obviously the the biggest one was at the end 
um, great experience, man. There's nothing like being at Arrowhead and, um, and I mentioned it earlier, you know, said something about how the crowd is, you know, how it's highly recognized for what it is now. You know, obviously we broke the Guinness world record for the loudest stadium, but you know, it just goes to show, it just goes to show you how we're the best fan base in the national football league. Like Clark Hunt said, And I just love Arrowhead. There was a lot of Bengals fans there, but a lot of Bengals fans that walked out with a lot of disappointment. Who day, who day, who day. <laughs> but Arrowhead, man, I loved loved every bit of that. That was that was awesome. That was that was awesome to see. I mean, it was I mean, I went to the 13 second game last year and that was awesome to see. But that was that was really really amazing to see. Uh, us host host hosting a um a Clark a Clark Hunt a Lamar Hunt trophy. All right, um, let's get on to the legacies. A little bit of, of legacies um for some of these players because you know this Super Bowl. You know a lot of these games, and then obviously the Super Bowl. This this is these are legacy games for these individuals. Travis Kelsey. Patrick Mahomes, Chris Jones, and you know what? You can probably go ahead and just throw Harrison Butker in there. You know, maybe maybe the interior offensive line if you want to throw them in there. Um, but in reality, I think it's mainly Chris Jones, Patrick Mahomes, and uh, Travis Kelsey. And I only said Butker because Butker has been amazing in the playoffs. You you can never not count on him in the playoffs and I think he's going to be our kicker moving forward for years to come you know he's going to get to the point where he's looking old like Mason Crosby or like Vinatieri unless he has like a major drop off or a Tucker even though Tucker kind of looks you know young at points he takes good care of himself uh but Bucker is going to be our guy okay that's why I said you know when he kicked the game winning field goal and this is why I said it, it's a legacy for him. It's legacy for Pat because of where he's at. And, you know, we already, you know, I already believe he's the greatest. I mean, I, I call Tom the GOAT in respect of what he has done. But I, I think Patrick's the greatest. I mean, he's the best right now, especially, you know, what he's doing. He's the best in the world, you know, at the age and, you know, just the rate and all the records he's accomplishing, having the team and, you know, winning and having them in championship games always, I mean, legacy. We win the Super Bowl. I mean, it's you're talking about you're making it hard for Joe Burrow. You're making it hard for Lamar Jackson. You're making it hard, obviously, for Jalen Hurts. And you're making it hard for uh, Josh Allen to even catch up with you or even to even put themselves in a conversation with you because you're not only that, you win your second MVP this year. And then there's the also the narrative that you're the first quarterback since Kurt Warner to do that when a lot of quarterbacks had the opportunity to do that, you know, who were MVPs, who were presented in the Super Bowls and couldn't prevail. And two that come to mind right now are, um, are uh, oh gosh, uh, Matt Ryan and um, Cam Newton. Those are the two players 
that uh, I can remember. And I, I want to say Peyton Manning, the year that Peyton Manning threw all those freaking touchdowns, and I think he won MVP that year, and they got smoked in the Super Bowl by the Seahawks. So it, 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 it was hard for – it's hard for that narrative to go around. And so if that happens, I mean, you know, that that's going to obviously be talked about. Travis Kelsey's already the greatest tight end of all time. We went to the Super Bowl. He's only halfway less of rings of Gronk, but he's already putting up more production. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, and someone made a good point of this, you know, why, we, you know, t- people didn't wait till Michael Jordan to win six rings already crown him the greatest of all time. People damn sure weren't going to wait for him to win 11 rings like Bill Russell to uh, to crown him the greatest of all time. I personally and a lot of, you know, LeBron fans didn't wait for him to win, you know, four championships to already crown him the greatest. You know, and I'm not trying to get into a Michael Jordan versus LeBron James, you know, debate because that's not this. Um, but my point is, you know, I'm not going to sit here and wait for Pat to win seven Super Bowls to already crown him the greatest because what he's doing is, and I know, I don't even know why I said Pat. I, I was on Travis. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to wait for Travis to win four Super Bowls like Gronkowski to already crown him the greatest because he's already the greatest tight end. And, you know, you can already take, you could take that to the bank. Um, and, uh, but again, same goes for Pat. I mean, he doesn't need to win seven, in my opinion, he doesn't need to win seven Super Bowls to solidify him as the greatest because some will even say Joe Montana's the greatest. He went four for four in Super Bowls. Um, and he played in an era where that was hard. It was hard, not and not doing the and he was doing things that quarter in that that era didn't see. So, um, not saying like he was like magical, but you know he was a really really great quarterback for that time. But legacies, man. Chris Jones. I mean, defensive legacy. I mean, Aaron Donald had legacy last year, but this is legacy for him because he wins this Super. If we win this Super Bowl, I mean, he's already got more. Stuff. He's already played in more title games than, than Aaron Donald. He just doesn't have the defensive player of the year awards and the amount of All Pros. Um, but you know, he will. He'll have more rings than Aaron Donald. Um, and you know, people would go to say that. Chris Jones was by far the most dominant defensive player this year, so that's that's without a doubt. Um, but this these are legacy these are legacy games and legacy moments for these players. Obviously for the coaches, but for these players that are that some if they were to retire today would be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, not Bucker. Bucker would not be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He he needs many years and many more moments for him to even probably be in that conversation um but pat if he were to retire he's the first ballot hall of famer travis kelsey he retires first ballot hall of famer if i and i and this is my honest opinion chris jones retires he's a first ballot hall of famer because it's hard for interior defensive linemen to do the things that he's you know that he's done obviously donald's done it for plenty of years but donald's uh donald's donald's and chris jones chris jones so these these are legacy moments for these players um, let's uh, let's get in some of the get into some of the trash talk that happened leading up to this game. Um, now, obviously, obviously, 
um, we're you know we're, we still haven't talked about the actual game in itself, but there was a lot of trash talk that led up to this game, and I, I know I mentioned that in the preview episode. Um, I didn't. I don't think I mentioned anything about the mayor because I don't know if that had happened or I don't think that had happened already, or maybe I had already dropped the episode out and then it happened. I don't know. Um, but there was a lot of trash talk. I mean, like I said, the mayor, the mayor came at came at uh, Pat with the whole, oh, Joe Burrow's your dad. Then try to come at Mayor Quentin Lucas. You know, it it, it was it was it was crazy. Calling Arrowhead Burrowhead. Obviously, you guys heard Travis in the beginning saying, you know, this ain't Burrowhead. This is Mah- this is Mahomes' house. Um, you know, it's <laughs> no. It, it was funny. I I knew. I just had that feeling. I was like, they're talking a big game right now. This is they're in for a rude awakening. And, and the, obviously, the game was close, but. You know, there was a lot of moments where you're like, yeah, the Chiefs won this. Um, you know, Mike Hilton, like I said, calling it Burrowhead. And then, you know, Eli Apple smoking the cigars like they won the Super Bowl in that moment. And I know we smoke cigars, but that was more in slap, slap in the face to them, not more so thinking that, oh, we're the best. I mean, even though I know the team believes that they're the best. Um, and then talking about like, oh, we gotta play them. Like they, like they won three Super Bowls in a row. It, it just, it was, it was just like there was so much that they said that I was just like, man, I wonder if any of the coaches have came out and said, why are you giving the Chiefs any type of bulletin board material? Because a motivated Chiefs team and a and a pissed off Patrick is is completely different. It, it just, it just is. And I. And I don't know why they did that. And even on one leg, he dominated the game, um, showed them. And a lot of those Bengals fans, they they ate their crow. We showed them the receipts. We showed everybody the receipts all year long. Made it made it past the AFC Championship. I don't care about the 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 head to, the head to toe record, the three to one three to one record with Mahomes and Burrow. I don't care. We're in the Super Bowl. That's all that fucking matters. But they trash-talked. They said a lot. They wrote a lot of checks. They wrote a lot of checks that their asses could not cash. Their fan base did, at least. Not, I mean, minus some of the defensive players. Um, because you didn't see Jamar Chase or Joe Burrow come out and say anything. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't, it wasn't in a situation like it was last time on Twitter with being your tuna in a can, um, whichever. You know, it's not like that. You know, it's it it was completely different mindset from the Chiefs' standpoint and a focused mindset and a and a ready and a mindset where we're 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 winning this game no matter what and we're winning this game at all costs. And I was like that for Pat and like like Therese Paler used to say, you know, them this is this is an I'm an over my dead body game. You know, Pat will win at all costs because that's just who he is. You know, and they 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 trash talked him up, and they got exactly what was coming for him. And then you got you know you got some of the players' moms going on Twitter trying to defend their their kids. I'm about T Higgins trying to tra- T Higgins' mom trying to trash Pat the way he talks and shit like that. Completely irrelevant. Eli Apple's mom deleted her her Twitter immediately after the game because she knew she knew exactly what was about to happen. 
She and that's exactly what happens when you talk shit. That's exactly what happens when you talk shit. It, 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 you, you, it comes right around to bite you in the ass. And it bit that entire fan base, that entire delusional, fraudulent fan base. I'm not going to say the team's a fraud because they're not. They're a really talented team. But that fraudulent fan base, I would call Eli Apple and pro, you know, a fraud. Mike Hilton's, Mike Hilton's talented, but he shouldn't have never said Burrowhead. But Eli Apple is a bum ass. Um... And I, you know, I have said that I felt that jo, uh, Joe Burrow is a cocky son of a bitch, but he's talented, and I have also mentioned that too. And I think Zach Taylor, I, I think Zach Taylor thinks very highly of himself more than he needs to. Um, I, I want to say that he feels like he's like either this, you know, he's better than McVay, or uh, he's, you know, better than. Um, you know, Kyle Shanahan. I mean, Shanahan, you know, he's a really good offensive-minded coach and, you know, shows McVay. But I, I don't think – I don't. I think Zach Taylor's just benefiting off the fact that he has Joe Burrow as a quarterback and he has elite wide receivers. Um, that's just my honest opinion. But that whole fan base is trash and fraudulent, in my opinion, and they're a bunch of crybabies. Um, that's what happens when you talk shit. It bites you right back in the ass. And it did this past Sunday. There was obviously a lot of injuries that affected the game. Obviously, we'll note those injuries moving forward going on before we get the Super Bowl preview out. But guys were dropping like flies. Sneed went out with a concussion. Juju went out with a knee. Kadarius Tony Tony out with an ankle. Harmon went down immediately. Uh, Willie Gay hobbled off the, you know, a hobble up with the shoulder injury, got off the field like midway through the third quarter. That's why you saw Darius Harris remaining in the game. Uh, so there's a lot of guys who were just going down, and you just hope with this two week recovery that uh, it's two week times off before the Super Bowl that these guys have time to actually recover for the game. Um, you know, Pat having a little bit more time with his ankle. And Snead obviously getting out of concussion protocol, which is kind of concerning for me because this is like his third concussion, I would say. You know, that that's not good. You know, he's a big part of Spags' game plan. So, um, speaking of Spags, like, like, like uh, another thing about his appreciation is his ability to, to basically, like I said, these big game matchups. I mean, finding the best, you know, coverage matchups you know just so he's not putting his guys in the worst possible positions at time sometimes I have seen him put his guys in bad positions but knowing that you know he knows what the talent he has the young guys he has he put them in right positions um moving you know making making Legere Sneed follow the number one receiver for the most part making uh uh McDuffie play inside and outside and then Obviously, finding the best matchup for Chris to win, you know, to win in his pass rush and, you know, to elevate the other guys. He's been, you know, he's been calling these big time games and, you know, being able to adjust week in and week out, week in and week out is, is, is good. And that's why I said it's like similar to Louis Anarumo. They're just, they're just game specific defensive coordinators. They don't run the same thing. Um, but, you know, um, but yeah, you know, you just have to show appreciation for that. Back on the uh, bulletin board material, 
I I just don't know why the mayor, their mayor had to say something. That's just that that was completely idiotic. And again, it's PR. And he he tried to double down. He apologized. Oh, I deserve that one. Of course you did, you motherfucker. You know that's exactly um, why that happened. You know you deserved every bit of that. I mean that's exactly why Travis Kelsey said this to you. Square off. We got to get out of here. But well done, my friend. <laughs> I appreciate you. How about this beautiful trophy? Huh? Hey, I got some wise words for that Cincinnati mayor. Know your role and shut your mouth, you jabroni. You gotta fight for your right to party! I knew he was gonna be up for one more of those. And like he said, you jabroni. It would have been dope if he would have finished off with the eyebrow raising. So that 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 would have been that would have been dope. He would have solidified himself as the one, the rock. I'm also a wrestling fan, so that that was uh, that was pretty cool to hear that reference. Um, obviously, the the rock shouted him out for that. Um, but yeah, man, don't 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 come at don't come at Pat like that. You know, don't don't say any of those dumb things because it's exactly what's going to happen. And he ate his crow for that. Um, back on the injuries, I know I kind of been jumping back and forth, but back on the injuries part, um, these guys, they should they should be healthy going into the game. I, I believe that they will. Um, like I said, Lejarius needs a big part of that game plan on the defensive side, and you know, so he should be able to get out of the concussion protocol. And hopefully, Juju's knee isn't isn't serious, um, and Willie Gay's shoulder isn't serious. I, I think Harmon, Harmon may be done. I, that that looked very very painful for him. I mean, it looked very very painful. You know where he was, um, and then obviously Tony can recover as well. But I think these guys are they they should be good, uh, minus the exception of Hardman going into the Super Bowl. Uh, but they 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 affected the game. I mean, they definitely did. They they caused the different some of the uh, different game plans. I mean, at some point, at one point, you were out there rolling with just MVS, Sky Moore, and Marcus Kemp. Obviously, MVS had to have the game of his life. Um, but you know they they definitely affected the game. It forced McDuffie to play strictly nickel the entire time, um, and they rolled with uh, Williams and Watson on the boundary. Um, and that's not I know that's not what Spags wanted to do. He I, he wanted uh, he wanted Jamar Chase, uh, or sorry he wanted um, uh, he wanted only. Uh, Chase or McDuffie on Chase if McDuff Chase sorry I'm getting my names all confused and jumbled up I apologize Spagnolo wanted McDuffie on Jamar Chase only when Jamar Chase was lined up in the slot so McDuffie would be playing the nickel now when Mc, now when uh, Jamar Chase was lined up outside that's when he wanted Snead on him from what I heard the game plan and what I saw people were talking about and kind of based off the the first played two plays before uh Steen went down so um but let's talk about the aftermath of the game obviously the Bengals they they just they have not been able to handle it the Bengals fans they've been doing ref blaming all this time which I think is a loser's mentality I've said that over and over again it's 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 dumb it's stupid 
Um, you know, you move on from the game. I, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that you can't question calls, but you can't sit there and say that they're the reason why you lost the game. You lost the game because you didn't, you didn't put up enough points to, to beat the other team and you made too many mistakes and that happens. I'm not saying that calls can't change momentums. I'm not saying that, but the ref isn't the reason why you lose the game. That that's not what it is. You lost the game because you lost the game. And those fans are out there making petitions, asking for do-overs and all this and that. And look, when in 2018 when we lost to the New England Patriots, there wasn't a petition that went out there saying that Chiefs were Chiefs fans were demanding a restart of the AFC title game. And if there was, I didn't see that. What we saw was a demand of overtime change of overtime rules to be changed. I did that was an actual real thing. It got denied, ironically, by the Buffalo Bills, who happened to bitch about it the moment that it bit them in the ass a year ago, um, and they were able to get it approved by the league. And um, that, yeah, that that happened. But we aren't Cincinnati Bengals fans. We've never came out and asked for a restart of the game. That's stupid. That's a delusional mindset. You're just being a crybaby. Move on from the game. You have Joe Burrow. He's a great quarterback. You guys are going to be successful. You know, hopefully, depending on how you guys, you know, how your management works the contracts out and able to give guys. But you guys need a healthy line. You know, injuries to your offensive line, you know, decimated them. And they're not, none of them seem to ever mention that. They're not mentioning that fact that they had a decimated offensive line. They think because they were able to block Buffalo that they were going to be able to block Chris Jones, Frank Clark, George Karloffis, and Dunlap. I'm sorry, but the guys that play on Buffalo's defensive line are not Frank Clark, George Karloftis, Chris Jones, damn sure not Chris Jones, and um, and Carlos Dunlap, those guys are better than, than the defensive linemen for Buffalo Bills. They are. They just are. Mike Dana, I would say they're probably like the equivalencies of Mike Dana's and probably maybe a Dunlap at this point. But they dan- – and, and probably regular season Frank Clark. And um, – but when it – when it comes to the playoffs, Frank Clark is a different animal. And Frank Clark had a great year this year. But they damn sure are not Chris Jones. And you're playing in a tougher environment. And that line, they couldn't hear any of the signals. They couldn't make any of the shifts and the slants they need to do. And they, they, they gave up sacks. They gave up pressures. Um, and none of the Bengals fans ever want to mention that. They just think that the refs were, you know, bl- you know, they think the refs, you know, called calls just in favor of Kansas City and wanted to – do this and do that, and this is completely bullshit. That's not that's not true. You know, Osai shoved Mahomes when he was already clearly way out of bounds, and you know what people were trying to say, like, oh, well, he flopped. It doesn't matter. It wouldn't have mattered if Mahomes didn't even fall to the ground. If there would have still been a shove, a somewhat of a shove, the flag's getting thrown no matter what. And I'm sorry, it is Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is the face of the NFL. He is the best player in the world. He makes a lot of money for the NFL. And if you don't understand that, you're dumb. And maybe you need to go look at an encyclopedia and understand how business works. He makes a lot of money for the league. I'm sorry, if he gets shoved late out of bounds, that flag is getting thrown 99.9999% of the time. So anyone who disagrees with it, deal with it. 
it, it, it just it just what it is. You, you, you could feel bad for Osai. Yeah, he made a critical mistake, but it almost was like D Ford lining up off sides. It's a bonehead decision at, at the wrong time. Osai knows not to hit a quarterback and knows not to hit a quarterback late out of bounds. He knows that. D Ford knew not to line up off sides. Now, we didn't have any teammates slandering D Ford's name in the locker room like the Bengals did. That just goes to show you how you know, they're, some of their players think, but, um, it, again, the, the Bengals fans are delusional, their, their fan base sucks, I used to somewhat, I used to play with the Bengals sometimes on Madden, I remember playing with Carson Palmer, um, or even, uh, shit, uh, no, Rex Grossman played for the damn, uh, Bears, but, um, I used to play with Carson Palmer sometimes in the Ocho and Chad Ocho Cinco. You know, I used to play with you know with that defense. Um, you know, that team was kind of fun to play with a little bit. Um, and I used to kind of like like the uh, the Bengals, but I don't like anything about them now. It used to be Buffalo. I actually don't even mind Buffalo, other than the fact that they should know that their quarterback. If he doesn't start changing the way he's playing, his career is not going to last long. Um, but I can't stand anything about Cincinnati. Can't, just can't do it. They're they're, they're a bunch of frauds and they suck. That that city sucks. Um, what was I going to say? You know, they, they have a lot of free agents. You know, the Bengals do. They have some free agents coming up. I mean, they're going to have to start making decisions. I mean, they, they can't sign everybody. You know, you got to figure out, are you going to sign Joe to a long, long, big-ass contract? Or are you going to sign um, T to a big-ass contract? Or I, I can see a situation where they, they mega-sign Joe and franchise tag T. Um, try to get him on a deal the following year and then, you know, maybe do something. But I could see Tiggins walking. They, I think Jesse Bates is done. I think Jesse Bates will not be a Cincinnati Bengal next year. I think they tried to get him. They tried to get a good year out of him with the franchise tag, maybe try to make another run, which they, they did. They got to the title game, didn't couldn't get successful. But I think Bates is done with uh, Cincinnati. Not saying he wants to be done with Cincinnati. I just think that they're not going to be able to come up with a deal. I would take Jesse Bates in this defense in a heartbeat. He's a very, very good safety. Um, trying to think what else, what else, what else. Well, that's pretty much kind of the takeaways. Let's kind of get into the actual game review in itself. And I'm going to try to make this brief because I've, I've talked a lot today already. I don't care. This is... This is kind of uh, an episode, you know, that is more of appreciation because of where we are and the fact that we're going to another Super Bowl. It's awesome. It's awesome to see. It's awesome to be as just as a Chiefs fan. Um, even if we won in 2020, I don't think there would have been a parade because that was obviously COVID time, COVID, you know, restrictions and things were still crazy at the at the moment. Um. But in two thousand, but you know, if we win this year, and I said I don't think I was ever going to go to another parade because of how crazy it was. I think I will always go to the parade, no matter what. It's just something that you have to do as a fan. I mean, especially when you win. Um, but yeah, let's get on to the actual game uh, review in itself. Um, we obviously won twenty three to twenty uh, in a nail biter. Uh, we're on our way to Super Bowl fifty seven. 
Um, I give my game grade an A. I mean, I think it was just a great game. I mean, going down with the injuries, Pat playing on one leg, um, and the defense playing balled out, balls basically balled out. And then, I mean, I think the defense was the unsung hero of of the whole entire night, and special teams being good and not having any mistakes. I think that's ultimately why, you know, we won. But you know. You have to you have to notify you have to note all those and that's why I give uh, the game grade an A. Um, now game ball that's 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 pretty much that's pretty easy to do. Um, I, you know I was gonna get to be you know I was gonna be nice and give it to MVS because MVS balled out in this game and you know he kind of had his Sammy Watkins moment and if he can do that in the Super Bowl that would be amazing too. Um, but Chris Jones, Chris Jones flat out dominated this game. And that is why we, this defensive line ate and wreaked havoc. And there was four sacks. Um, Chris Jones accounted for two, Frank Clark, one and a half, Willie Gay, the other half on a blitz on the edge. And I said this, if, if Willie Gay was in a different scheme and wanted to play like being an outside linebacker. I really, really think he could. I think he honestly could learn the pass rush moves. He's got the speed. He's got the speed. He just needs to learn like the, the discipline of bending and um, being able to do those moves that pass rushers got off the edge. Um, but he had a really, you know, he had a good blitz off the edge and him and Frank were able to get to Joe and, and that was kind of the beginning of the game. You saw, they started triple teaming and, uh, double teaming, uh, Chris Jones. That's what freed all these guys up. Um, and they, they were able to beat their matchups, but I give Chris Jones, uh, the game grade. He was pretty much the, the, the force factor, the X factor of the game. Um, but love to, you know, obviously Pat for playing on one leg, being great, you know, doing his thing, and MBS being great too, and, and Bucker, you know, kicking the game-winning field goal. Um, but, yeah, let's get on to the uh, actual uh, stat line in itself. Um, Pat had a great game. Like I said, this is this is legacy for him. He wins the Super Bowl. This is, this is it. Uh, but he was 29 for 43, 326, two touchdowns, 105 QB rating. Uh, he saw, he read those defenses. He saw the quarter, quarter, half, cover six, was able to just rip it up, um, didn't care, was able to find guys through the middle, find the open zones because, you know, it, it should be an easy cover to pick apart. And he's a smart quarterback. You saw the communication. Um, but, yeah, he played out of his mind. He's Patrick LeVon Mahomes. Um, running backs. Now we didn't really get a lot of the run game. Only ten rushes for Pacheco and twenty six yards. I I was mad about this, and the only reason why I was mad is because I don't think we were running the ball at the right time. We were supposed to be running the ball a lot in the first and second quarter. He completely went away with it in the second quarter. Didn't really touch it in the third. And then he really started wanting to implement it in the fourth. And I get that you want to waste time. You want to run clock down. But at that point, you, the, the Bengals are close. It's tied. You, you have to start passing it at this point. Um, and, you know, because we didn't have a comfortable lead. There was no, there was, there was no comfortable lead in that, in that game. You know, for him to pound the pound the ball. So at 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 that, you know, especially at the end is what I'm saying. 
you know, and, and earlier in the game, he should have been doing it. He ran, he got away with it. He got away from it. And I was just like, well, now it's kind of a little too late in my opinion. But Pacheco had a couple mean runs and, um, uh, that, you know, especially that one out in the, uh, I wish it was like right before Pat, um, got the, got the, uh, the, the 15 yards, or maybe it was after that play. I can't remember. I'll have to go and look back. Um, I haven't been able to actually watch the all 22 yet. I actually just watched the actual gameplay over again. Um, but, you know, I really wish we had more out of the running backs as far as production. He did get a touchdown taken away from him. Um, but the blocking, the blocking has been superb from the running backs, McKinnon and Pacheco. It's been superb. And someone tried to tell me today that blocking is not important, that it doesn't get graded. It gets graded, trust me. It doesn't just come from the offensive line. Wide receivers, everybody went down. MVS, like I said earlier, he balled out. Sky Moore came in clutch when it mattered. Uh, he had a, he had that awesome punt return as well to kind of set things up that last, that last final minutes. Kemp caught a crucial uh, first down. And you just can't ask for more. I mean, those guys, those guys were good. I mean, like I said, your key guys went down. Tony and Juju Hardman, those guys went down. Three receivers. Um, so you have to, you have to appreciate, especially what MVS did. Travis Kelsey, like I said, he's the goat. This is also legacy for him. We ran a lot of twelve, thirteen personnel, and the Bengals had no idea what to do. A lot of heaviness out there, a lot of heavy packages out there, and they had absolutely no answer for it. Um, offensive line, our offensive line, they were able to handle DJ Reader and uh, BJ Hell and uh, Hendrickson and uh, Hubbard. And as far as like uh, the you know pass protection, I mean, you know, Pat he did get sacked a few times, but a lot of it was just him just holding the ball way too long. Um, but his offensive line won the day. Those guys, you know, held their own. I know a lot of people, a lot of Bengals, but they were holding the entire game. No, you guys were holding Chris Jones the entire game and held Frank Clark a lot. That, you know, that that was noticeable. Those holes that you guys are bitching about were not holds. You go back and look at them, they're not holds. Offensive line, they played well. I mean, this is... You know, this is the best I've seen them block in a while. I know Trey Smith kind of struggled a little bit in the run game. That's why I think some of the run game wasn't, you know, quite there. But the pass protection was pretty much superb, and this is the best I've seen these guys play. Orlando Brown had a great game. And like I said, this game was going to be very, very important for him and as far as contracts moving forward. Now he's got one more game to prove that. Um... I mean, and Wiley, he had a couple mistakes. He had the taunting penalty, and then obviously the hold that negated. I took away, sorry, Pacheco, Pacheco's um, touchdown. Uh, but, you know, the offense, they were able to handle Lou Amarillo's defense. I mean, they, they were able to handle that defense fairly well. That defense had some moments, but... You know, they they stopped Lou. I mean, they felt, I mean, the league was going around saying that Lou was just, you know, this master plan guy, you know, that was able to stop Mahomes. I mean, they've been saying that about everybody. Todd Bowles was last year. No, 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 18, in 2018, it was Bill Belichick with the, you know, the, the, the big time man coverage. Um, and then in like, 
in the, like in 2018, 19, and then in 2020 and 2021, it was Todd Bowles' oh cover two, and then uh, soft shell, you know, cloud Tyree kill, and then this and then this year was this mixed mass mix and match uh, coverage, disguised coverage, quarter quarter half cover six coverage. You know, whether he's throwing a little bit of inverts in there, maybe disguising a little bit of cover three um, and then shifting or to base cover four, cover two, but really cover six a lot, which is what a lot of uh, DCs are doing. Vic Fangio was pretty much like the guy to kind of implement that that cover six look. Um, but our D, our offense was able to handle that. And, and Pat, just being who he was, it, it, it was it was amazing. Defense, defense, oh my goodness. Like I said, the defense, unsung hero of the game, Spagnolo, Spagnolo, man. He, that's why someone, that's why someone, and I, and I already mentioned this a little bit earlier about, you know, Spags and, you know, what he's able to do for the team. But th- again, me, this is me just saying how much I, I really appreciate him. And I know I've had my negative saying, but I do truthfully appreciate Steve Spagnolo. Um and uh there was a fan that, that, that said, You're the guy or you're the man and a whole bunch of people cheered and you know, Spags just one simple response, thank you, and just, just kept going forward. You know? Doesn't you know, Spags is just that guy. He just keeps to himself and tries to call a great game plan for his defense. Um, now, I don't know what he's like in practice, but, um, yeah. And now, I remember earlier in the year, there was a game, I can't remember. I, I don't know if we had lost or we struggled in or something had happened. And I remember reading a thread out about Steve Spagnolo, and obviously this – and it was a big, big complaint thread about why the Chiefs should move on for Steve Spagnuolo. And I very well thought that that was all those were accurate points. And I was kind of on the bandwagon of for a moment of moving on from him. But you have to really go back and look at everything and put things in perspective and realize the success of what he has done for this franchise. And I do realize that. And I do eat my crow. I'll admit I was wrong in those moments. Um, but spags called a great game plan and like i said i mean for him to stop that 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 track meet that was that was awesome the linebackers that was probably their best game one of their best games all year gay was obviously phenomenal in that game the one thing i would say that i that i was annoyed with bolton was the whole where he where he just kind of stuttered with joe burrow other than that bolton was amazing bolton was good in run run stuffing he was good in coverage you know he had a great game he didn't really get a lot of Leo Chanel, played only four snaps just because they didn't run a lot of base. And he's a guy that's just more of your baseline, your Sam. And uh, I thought they would probably blitz him and rush him a little bit more. They did a little bit, but not a lot. Um, and he'll play in the Super Bowl, I'm sure. He'll play, get some snaps. But, you know, it's just because we're run, going up against the – well, actually, we will because we're going up against this heavy run run team. But, you know, we needed a lot of cover guys out there. We needed our sub packages out there for this game. Um, Harris was in there a lot, obviously, for Gay when Gay went down. Um, I mentioned the defensive line already a little bit. They wreaked havoc. They 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 did ex- exa- exactly what they were supposed to do. 
Um, everybody got to Burrow. They pressured him a lot. Had the four sacks. Uh, and Burrow was just, he was uncomfortable all day. I mean, Chris Jones, that last sack he got at the end was just, that was clutch. I mean, that, that shut that drive down because I was, I was upset that we punted the ball right back to Joe Burrow with like pretty much two minutes left of the game. I thought that this was it. They were going to drive down and kick a field goal. Obviously in that moment, I underestimated the defense that had already been successful all game and they went ahead and proved exactly what they were that entire game. That D-line took over. They were amazing. Love this defensive line. Hopefully they can continue. Love that Dunlap was able to, you know, beat his old team. Um, they took a straight advantage of that battered offensive line. Um, the DBs, the DBs played straight man. They just manned the hell up. Um, we just pretty much covered two-man press. Um like I said, the game plan was originally supposed to have McDuffie on uh, Chase only if he was in the slot, at, you know, when McDuffie would be at the nickel, and then they would have Steen lined up on him if he was out in the boundary. But Steen went out, and McDuffie played nickel. The two young guys out in the boundary, Williams and Watson, both got interceptions. It was amazing. Brian Cook was amazing at safety. You know, learned his lesson from the uh, where where he got beat on the first play in double coverage, and then was able to recover himself and make a beautiful, beautiful play, beautiful play. Um, over at um, so like I said, beautiful play uh, to help Josh Williams get his pick because he tipped it from T Higgins. Uh, they were in double coverage, and uh, Williams was in the right place to get the ball. So Cook had an amazing game, and I think if he just timed it a little bit better on the hit on Hayden Hurst or according to, I should say, according to Justin Reed, Tyler Higby, um, you know, he would have – that pass interference would have had, but he cracked him, man. Our safeties love to hit people. Justin Reed had a great game, covered all his guys. He's been a he's starting to become a great addition. I'll eat my crow in the safety room because they I I was having a little bit of frustrations with them in the beginning of the year, but they have they have picked it up. They have shown Brian Cook he's balling out. Juan and uh, Juan and Justin Reed are balling out. I love what I'm seeing with the DBs, especially with the young guys. I mean. Cook being one of them, and then Williams being a Division II player, and Watson being a seventh-round uh, draft pick, and then McDuffie having high expectations for being a, uh, uh, a, a corner that he wasn't being a first-round pick trading up for. And I, a lot of people were questioning why we were having the slot because they were like, well, if you're just going to play on the slot, you think that was basically a waste of a draft pick. And they're like, no, I don't think that's it. I think Spags is just realizing that he has guys that can be moved all around the field, and he's going to do that. You know, he's going to find the best matchups just to help the team win. That's just what it is. Um, but these young cats, I mean, these young these young DBs, man, they're, they're they just they've been awesome, and for them to do what they did in the AFC title game, that that gives me so much hope moving forward. It, it really really does they're young and hungry they're young and hungry and i think they you know in the times that they were trying to run some zone was those those long distant passes when we were in third and longs and they gave up the plays they gave up those chunk plays that were able to convert and that were pretty annoying they were that were able to beat double coverage was that those those when they were the times they were putting guys in cover four when they were just trying to just keep everybody back and restricted 
But that was pretty much the defense. Uh, the defense that played well. The offense played well. Uh, special teams. Bucker made his field goals. Tommy was very good at punt punting. Um, and the snap, the snaps was the snap was kind of a bad snap at the last field goal. But you know, hey, Tommy was able to recover it, get it right for Bucker to make it. And hey, they 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 were nails, baby, nails. Um, oh, I'm trying to think. That's well. That's pretty much kind of the review of the game. I know I kind of skimmed through that. Mainly, this episode, I guess, was supposed to be a review of the game, and it was mainly a review of the game. Um, but a lot of it was appreciation. Um, as, obviously, as being a Chiefs fan, that's what most of the uh, first kind of you know first segment was a little bit. Um, of that and then obviously just any most of the other key takeaways just showing appreciation for the coaching staff um just everything because ultimately this is a showing appreciation of this season how the 2022 Kansas City Chiefs you know how how their season you know turned out to be you know and we're obviously we have one more game because the job's not done yet so um, but yeah, I just, I wanted to get this out, you know, it's a little bit different from, you know, most episodes, but you know, I don't give a fuck. We're AFC champions. We won the AFC championship when they said we weren't, when all the narratives had the Kansas City Chiefs to fail. Um, now I'm not going to really go over the NFC title game cause I'm getting a little tired. I need to end this episode. Um, but the Eagles, they handled business fairly easy, uh, 49ers, um, yeah, uh, we'll 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 get more into the detail. Obviously, the Super Bowl and how you know how my predictions and the preview with that. Um, we'll get that out next week. Um, but what I was gonna say was that that game that game looked fairly easy for them. They were able to dominate a backup quarterback. So that's just pretty much what that you know that is. Um, they. They won, and we're going to meet them in a Super Bowl. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with Kyle Shanahan and how that stuff's going to work, but man, I mean, you just keep taking. If you just keep taking your team to title games and losing, I don't know what they're going to say about you. I don't know. But Nick Sirianni, that he had an amazing season. They went fourteen and three as well. They dominated their conference. They won. They're there. They're in the big dance. So many narratives are going to come out because of, you know, the Kelsey brothers, Andy Reid going against his old team um, and everything else. So it's 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 going to be it's going to be amazing when that when I do um, whenever that uh, whenever that time starts getting close to that game. And then obviously, like I said, I'll get that preview episode out next week for that. Um, but let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap this episode out all. Yeah, let's go ahead and wrap this episode up. Like I said, I'm getting a little sleepy and a little tired, so uh, see my voice. I'm starting to jumble my words a little bit more, not making any sense. Um, trying to think, is there any more tidbits before we get out of here? Get out of here. Um, Frank Clark. Oh, like I said, Frank Clark. And I, I probably should have mentioned him a little bit with the legacy. Frank Clark, man, he's... I mean, I guess you can say it's, it's legacy for him. I mean, you look at his his playoff sack record. I mean, he's breaking the records of playoffs. He needs three more, and he, he he surpasses Willie McGinnis for most sacks in the playoffs. And you know what? 
I know I've had my fair share over the years with him, you know, when it comes to regular season, but Frank turns it around in the playoffs and he shows why there's more blood in the water. And that speech that he had with James Palmer was fucking amazing. And that is typical Frank. You know, James Palmer don't give a damn about anybody in that damn locker room. He don't give a shit about anybody in the locker room but Frank Clark. He wants Frank Clark every single time because he knows what he's about to get from Frank. He's about to get he's about to get that true shark from Frank. If you know what I mean. That that man play like. Let's just go to say playoff Frank. Playoff Frank, that 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 hits. Playoff Frank hits different. The shark hits different when when it comes to when it comes now because there's more blood in the water. All right, now I'm getting a little carried away. <laughs> Let's wrap this thing up. Uh, one more last tidbit: the Chiefs will be wearing the white uh, uniforms in the Super Bowl. Um, first time they're wearing the away jersey since they're the away team this year. Uh, they were supposed to be the away. They were the away team in uh, 2020, although the Bucks elected to wear their uh, away jerseys. So they will be doing that. All right, Chiefs Kingdom, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode. Long episode, but I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We're AFC champions once again after they all said we were done. They said we weren't going to be shit. We all keep proving wrong, and that's why the connect is always real. You just had a long embrace with your head coach. What did Andy Reid just say to you? Man, we did it. We did it. You know what I mean? We had to come back out here. You know, last year this time, same team sent us home, man. You know, very disappointing season. I don't know who the hell they think they was calling this Burrow head. I don't know who the hell they thought they was talking about. Let's go finish us off. They don't take their bum ass back to Cincinnati. Man, they came to Chiefs King and got their ass stumped on. I don't know what number one did. I told him to holler at me. I don't know what the bang. I told him all holler at me. I told him last year they ain't get my best. I told him this year they barely got my best. I told him with the playoffs though, I'm the king. They gotta holler at me every game.